You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. I'm Jamie Dumont. I'm Jennifer Samard. And I'm Rob Russo. And this is The Fabulous Invalid. So, what's going on? Yeah. Oh, what's going on? What's going on? What's going Lots on? Lots going on. It's Halloween. Happy Halloween, Happy everyone. Halloween. Yeah. Spooky. Yeah. It's, really <laughs> I, it's my favorite holiday. Is it? Yeah. Because I grew up in a very small town, so it was, you know, and also people were really unsafe in the 70s and 80s, and just neighborhood children going out from 6 to 9 or 6 to 8, you know, at night without their parents to... You know, strangers' home. Hi, you know, like, yeah. but it was one of the few places where you could Halloween at night. So my core group, we, we're still bonded to this day over the wacky days of really Love good, that. really good. Well, you're Halloween. from New Hampshire. Yeah, isn't there that famous pumpkin festival in New Hampshire? Oh god! It got violent a couple years ago. I don't know. Oh, okay. Maybe. It, it was, was it <laughs> yeah, no. There's, I don't know. There's some sort of town that is known for their pumpkin festival. It's in New hard to mm-hmm. imagine a violent pumpkin festival it, in New Hampshire. It got violent. With um, what I know, oh, of New Google Hampshire. it. Live free or die. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really serious about the die part. Pumpkin yeah. in your face. Right. <laughs> and I just want to say that if I had children, I would send them out every night between eight and nine <laughs> to seek chocolate from strangers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fend for right? themselves. Here's a pillowcase. Yeah, exactly. Don't come back till it's full. <laughs> I don't even care if they bring home candy, although that would yeah. be a bonus. Certainly. Um, so what are you yeah. are, are you dressing up for Halloween, Jen? Um, for? Well, uh, and we're recording this, full disclosure, everyone, uh, the week before, but I'm really excited that next Monday I'm going to Bette Midler's Halloween. Uh, which is a so I'm dressing up for that. You know that's where I met you the, for for the first time. I think so. It is. You were dressed as a um, a, a bumblebee. Bee. Yeah, a bumblebee. yeah. Yes. So I'm doing so I'm dressing up for that, and then at our theater, the listeners might not know that, but most Broadway theaters. So on Saturday between shows, we're inviting all the children of the uh, employees of the August Wilson Theater and of Mean Girls proper to the show, between shows, and we're going to hand out candy from our dressing rooms, and most dressing rooms have signed up to do a theme. So I share a dressing room with um, Barrett Wilbert Weed, and we are going to do sort of a Hawaiian tropical theme. So we'll have hula skirts and and tiki stuff and all kinds of, you know, we can hand out Hawaiian lays and candy. And poi. You can give good children Imagine poi. just some tuna, some raw tuna. <laughs> no, poi is actually a vegetable. Is it? Poi is the, the I think it's the, it's the vegetable of Hawaii. Yeah. It's, a, it's like a yam or Ooh. it's a, like a less tasty yam. I think you have to do so it. So we'll be dressed up for that. And then, yeah. Is that a Broadway-wide tradition, or just um, a usually they have a sign-up sheet? And most most shows I've done, yeah. like we did it at Hello Dolly. I love that. And then my predecessor, Carrie Butler, she's wonderful. We have the, she would call it booing someone's dressing room. Your dressing room has been booed. <laughs> and, we're, and we did that. Uh, God, did we do it at Disaster? I think we did an Easter version of that. But you you go and decorate someone's dressing room when they yeah. when you come in. There's cobwebs in your room, and or whatever, any number of. Nonsense, and then so it's like you, loving hazing, loving yes. And hazing. then if your room has been booed, you have to go and boo someone else's room, and it's kind of fun. It's good for morale, and uh, so there'll be all kinds of those things. Yeah. How many children roughly come? Like, what's it? What's the turnout? I think we're at. I think I looked at the list the other day, and we're around twenty-five oh. so far. But it's early, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. Most people do it at the last minute, you know. 
or, or get tickets to, like my show, Stigma. Come see my show. Oh, actually, this is a good segue. Yeah. So tell us a little yeah. bit about your show that you have coming up on Well, November I wear, 5th. it's kind of in the theme of Halloween because I, I wear black lipstick. Um, <laughs> but, um, but it's in five days, right? It's, on, it's next Monday, November 5th, and there's a special Halloween promotion code, Stigma 5. Stigma 5. Ooh. Yeah, the number How'd you five. get the 5? Why 5? I didn't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. I wish I did. It's a mystery, never fully explained. Maybe there explained. were five members in my immediate family. So <laughs> anyway. Um, but yeah, you go to the, um, at the Green Room 42, you go onto their website and then there's tickets links and um, I would really love it if people would come and um, and support me in the show it would mean a lot Jamie yeah. will be there and it's right? 25% off I think it's a really good deal too it's 25% off so. I will I missed the last show unfortunately but I'm very you had very good, you had and I'm hoping to come again oh please do <laughs> but now I have the code stigma 5 so stigma 5 who doesn't want to save 25% yeah no I'm here for that no and then most importantly the next day is election day so what is everyone going to do they're going to vote vote vote, vote. please vote please vote <laughs> now more than oh, ever oh my gosh yeah no and and in fact when voting of course is the number one thing you you can and should do and I you know I expect everyone who can vote will vote um, but between now and election day there are also other things you can do to make sure that others vote. Like what? Like what, you might ask. Well, um, the best thing you could do, the single best thing you could do is clear your weekend or some portion of your weekend and go knock on doors for a candidate who uh, needs help getting out the vote. If you go to uh, The Last Weekend, Google The Last Weekend, it's an effort being put forth by um, uh, Swing Left, which is a new progressive organization that helps connect people with their closest swing district so they can volunteer and get involved in the campaign. Um, the last weekend is meant to be a mass volunteer operation for the last weekend before the election um, nationwide to organize folks to get out knocking on doors um, to turn out the vote. And pretty much everyone, no matter where you live, even here in New York City, lives close by a swing district um, in, this, in this upcoming election. I will be going upstate to New York's 19th congressional district. Where and where is that? That's in Columbia County. Oh, I know Columbia County. <laughs> well, it's Columbia County and a couple other counties um, uh, where Antonio Delgado is running for Congress in what is one of the closest races in the whole country. Um, but so can you. Uh, so <laughs> Google it to check it out. And if you can't uh, actually go knock on doors or don't want to, it makes you uncomfortable, um, you can also make phone calls from the privacy of your own home um, through Indivisible. It's another wonderful progressive organization. Google it. Uh, super easy to do. You can drop in, do five calls, do a thousand calls, whatever time you have. Um, it's a really, really proven effective way to help get people out to vote. So two things you can do. You can trick or treat for votes yeah, or you, you can <laughs> make some phone calls. Whoa, 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 whoa. Freedom is an ocean sweeping the nation. Freedom is the right of all mankind. Freedom is the body's imagination. Freedom's in the state of mind. Freedom, 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 freedom. Freedom is a full-time occupation. Freedom's in the state of mind. Stay!
the greatest things I heard was someone I, I read this online, someone uh, sent in their absentee ballot early so that they could be available with their car to drive mm. elderly or infirmed or people who couldn't get to the uh, polling place otherwise uh, yeah. to, to, to their polling place to vote. That's amazing. So you can, yeah. you know, check on your elderly neighbors if someone mm -hmm. needs help getting Make there. Make a plan. You know, and that, that, that's part of the standard GOTV speech, uh, GOTV meaning get out the vote, is to, to tell people what's your, or to ask people what's your plan. Because it makes people actually start to think of, okay, on the day of, when am I going to vote? And once you, once you think it, you actualize it, right? Or you're more likely to actualize it. That's right, because a lot of people, life happens. And I, I know I had a really good friend when I lived up in Cold Spring who was really active. And I remember she checked on me one day for a, for a local election. And I knew it was happening, and I'm a pretty regular voter. But I remember I was, it was one of those days. I was tired. Life is happening. And then she because of her um, bugging me about it, right. I felt like I had an exercise buddy, that sort of, um, <laughs> that sort of um, what, is, what is that word I'm looking for? Accountability. Yeah. I felt more accountable to make sure I got there Absolutely. and voted because someone I knew was checking on me. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's a great tip. So think of someone in your life who, who might not be likely to vote or might forget or might get busy and um, make a plan to call them on election day <laughs> to get them out to the polls mm -hmm. as well. Um, because it's super important. Oh, it is. It's never been more important. <laughs> uh, oh, boy. Happy Halloween! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something that would be really spooky is waking up on, uh, on November 7th uh, uh, disappointed by the outcome or regretting that you didn't vote. Today I'm delighted to welcome two-time Olivier winner, Tracy Bennett. Tracy most recently was seen in New York starring as Judy Garland in End of the Rainbow. Welcome, Tracy. So what's the concept? Why is it called The Fabulous Invalid? So The Fabulous Invalid is a play by Kaufman and Hart that was written in, what, the 30s? Mm -hmm. And it became, it wasn't a popular play, but it became a sort of a, an affectionate term for Broadway. So people Did used it? to used to say the fabulous invalid, invalid in reference to Broadway, um, <laughs> and it's a it's not a very good play, but it became a much better play called Blythe Spirit, basically. Oh. Um, so it's about it's it's about the opening of a theater loosely based on the New Amsterdam theater. Husband and wife acting duo commit suicide and die to get they they die in the theater after opening night, and then they haunt the theater. So it's it's Blythe Spirit. It is. Yeah. Did you read it, Rob? I don't, no, I haven't no. read it. No, it's not great. Um, <laughs> That's but, what you told me. So, <laughs> but it's a good. But I like the title. I like anything with fabulous. I like the sort of subversive invalid sure. thing. And um, our first show title was taken. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, was it? I wanted. Yeah. I wanted. Long to, story short. <laughs> long story short. I wanted to call this break a leg. Um, and Bring a leg. Break. Break. Okay. Break a leg. And that there's already a podcast called oh, Break no. a Leg. So, there you go. Do you know what that means? There's various connotations of what it means. Well, I, I know it, it's in reference to good luck, but I, is there more to the story? So there's the audience. I'm in the wings. There's the wing there. Stage left, stage right. So when you go on, you're looking to the audience. Whatever wing you're in, in the olden days, I'm talking kind of vaudeville days, if you were called in, to do your act, say, as an audition for somebody, say you're a comedian, 
if you are asked to go across, you break the leg of the theatre. You break the leg. So it was good luck because if you were called back on, I think, something like that, you got paid. So everybody used to go, break a leg, because you'll get paid. And that was, that was kind of good luck, but it was actually logistical, physically. You were breaking the leg from going from that way to, onto the state. And it also had a financial incentive, right? Obviously, if you broke, if you broke a leg, you got paid more, is what you said. Yeah, is... or, or you got the gig, and uh, you were going to get paid. Tell me a little bit about um, what you've been doing lately. I think you just did Ruthless in the West End, is that correct? Yeah. Um, I did it because I wanted to learn about, well, I can't say just American spoof, but it was a kind of cult thing, I believe, here. Um, and I'd just finished Follies. And I'm not saying that was dark, but but the opposite of whatever I'm doing, I want to do. So if I'm doing comedy, I want to do serious. If I'm doing, I think that's the case for a lot of actors, really. Um, so I thought it was light but it was quite specific. And, you know, with farce, you all have to kind of be in the same convention, at least. So it was a bit wobbly at first, to be honest. We were all in different plays at first because we were all rehearsing with different people and then we didn't come together till right at the end and then we were straight into the tech and then we suddenly got on stage and went, what are you doing? <laughs> they went, what are you doing? <laughs> what are we doing? Um, and so we slowly, slowly got together and then we all came together and did the same kind of style. As Brits, we were kind of trying to be reserved about it and just playing it a little bit, you know, normal comedy, if you like, if there's such a word. But then we realised, no, it all has to be heightened. And if we didn't go for it, it just didn't work. It's a very American thing. I'm very. I'm surprised. Um, I'm surprised that you guys did it in in on the West End. Did you say on the West End or in the West End? Uh, we say it, mm, in, in 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 the West right. End. Yeah. Oh, I'm in the West mm. End, not on the West End. Right. You said on, on Broadway. 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 Right. Jennifer, you're on Broadway currently. And yes. you were just in the but West you've End. Been on Broadway. What are, I'm curious to know if you had to. This is a broad question. If you had to narrowly answer, what do you think are, is the biggest difference between performing on the West, in the West End, excuse me, and on Broadway? Or are there a few? Because you've done both. You've done both. Yes, but I've only done one play on Broadway, in Broadway. It doesn't sound right, in <laughs> no, Broadway, no, does it? Sounds, sounds, yeah. it sounds dirty. Yeah, it sounds <laughs> <laughs> oh, I get you. Um, so I can't really tell because that was specific. Um, I could only tell the difference with that play. But because I was playing her... Mm-hmm. Um, and we're talking about Judy, Judy Garland? Yeah, yeah. In End of the Rainbow. I, I which weird saying, saying I played her because I wasn't being her. I was just doing a study on the price of fame, really. You don't feel like you embodied her? You don't feel like she was God, in you? how can you? I, I can't say that. I... I, I just did how I was directed, mixed with my brain about certain technical stuff, and I found the English audience not laughing at the icon and the situation, but they found different things funnier. Mm-hmm. They're not so precious about our icons in Great Britain because there aren't many. <laughs> we don't have that culture, really. So the British audience were were kind of laughing not horribly 
at the way she would demand things. Uh, and realising it was the drugs at certain points, but then realising if you're that gifted, why don't you like it? Because there was a section where, you know, her throat's going, she, she hated her throat because it stopped her marrying or it stopped her being a normal person. And so there's, it's very difficult to play a confused person in a confused situation on top. There were so many layers. Mm -hmm. I'm sure I didn't get them all, but, but on Broadway they were laughing with. And in fact, when I went to LA, we had a questions and answers afterwards. And I said, look, can I just ask you one question? Because as soon as I used to come on stage in LA, you could feel warmth. And they laughed with recognition. And I said, it's not that New York were cold at all. I love the New York audiences and they'll tell you, you know, you were, you were rubbish or you were great. You know, they'll just tell you. Um, and some didn't like it in New York because they said, no, she never did that. She didn't die in England. She did, well, it's all documented. You know, it's not my fault. I was like, don't shout at me. I'm just, I'm just trying to give you a play, which I didn't write. So... I, they all kind of blame me for certain things that they might not like. They've all, they've all got their own idea of their own Judy Garland, the Dorothy and the this and the older one and the concert one. There's, there's millions of different types of Judy that they wanted to see. Well, we, if we didn't give them that, they were a bit, why not? But LA, when I asked this question, they said, because it's a pill culture and we recognise what that does. Half of them were her friends still. There were a lot of 90-year-old like, comedians were coming in newer in the day. Some set people off MGM still alive. And, and they were like, no, we, you know, at that level, it's sad, but it's not Judy. It's the drug that makes somebody do that. Mixed with a drink, it becomes another drug altogether. So we tried to not talk about the drugs all the time because that, that's not right. It's the effect that fame has to even do that, really, and questioning our identities. But LA were really understanding because Britain in the main is not a pill culture. I had an American boyfriend once, years ago, and he used to take, like, five uh, anodin. You know anodin here, what's the difference? Like a headache tablet? Like uh, a, like a, like a no. yeah, ibuprofen or oh, yeah, aspirin? Exactly, or... exactly, yeah. And he used to say, Trace, give me the, the aspirin. I'm like, why are you bad? And he used to take, like, five or six. I said, why are you that bad? You, you're only meant to take two. And he's like, well, just in case I wake up with a headache, I'm taking them to prevent. And I went, see, right there, you're taking it because you think you might have one. That's so alien, you, you know. Mm -hmm. We live in a pharmaceutical culture. We, we, For sure. We absolutely live in a culture where you take preventative medicine, which is kind of ridiculous, and in, in, when, especially when you're talking about taking aspirin before you even need it. But we also, we, we take pharmaceuticals, and then you need more ph pharmaceuticals to help mm -hmm. you with the ones you're taking, and you fall down this well, rabbit hole. Well, the opioid crisis. It, it's purely yeah. a, a pharmaceutical, you know crisis that we're having. Is right? it? Yeah, yeah I would it's, imagine. It's big here. But also, I want to say, for those that don't know, End of the Rainbow is specifically about Judy Garland's last few days, right? It's it's the last few weeks or months of her life, correct? Yeah, well, and she's, she, she, it, I think it was about three, four months before she actually died. I think she died in June. So this was her last concert in England. Right. She actually went to Copenhagen after that. But, but this particular time was the five-week gig she had at the talk of the town after you've gone 
bestest pal you ever had. There'll come a time. Now don't forget it. There'll come a time when you regret it. I actually went to the house where she lived. As a child or as an adult? Uh, I think she was married to Vincent Minnelli at the oh, time. Yeah. And a friend of mine bought it. <laughs> so he knew I was playing her and he went, listen, you don't know this, but I've actually bought the house. I was like, you're kidding me. He went, do you want to come and sit in it? Because it's the same structure. The furnishings have changed, but they've not changed the structure. There's still the bay. I was in her bedroom 40 minutes and that was weird. Wow. Did you, feel, did you feel a presence? Did you feel an energy? Well, I'm a bit weird like that anyway. I'm sensitive. I think we all are. I yeah. think a lot of artistic people are. Non-artistic people, I just don't think they know how to channel it for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they say we only use a fifth of our brain and the, there's another side that people don't even know that they have. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, people... I don't talk about it often because people think you're mad, you know. Oh, no, I, I believe in energies. I'm a yeah, huge, I do. huge I really believer. Do. I will do this thing where I'm walking down the street and I will feel an energy off of somebody that's right. very negative and I will stop and let them get a certain yeah. distance because like I can the movie can't. Unbreakable. Yeah, <laughs> is that what I, yeah. Um, um, what's his name? He was... Um, Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis, yeah. and he had this superpower where he could... What, um, the film? He, the film, and he could tell if someone was a murderer or something else horrible just by touching them, walking down the street. Oh, that would be a good yeah. skill. <laughs> but how do you deal... I have a question. How do you deal with jealousy, specifically people who are jealous of your speaking voice, like me? Because your voice is amazing. <laughs> I'm sitting here so jealous of your voice. I'm not a singer at all. Oh, I'm, I, I disagree with that wholeheartedly. <laughs> well, I know it's funny. I've seen you sing many, many times. It, it's not what I do. You... It, I've always been a character. You know that ingenue that looks pretty and beautiful in Sprite's pink filter and their voice just soars and, and they're clear and the Broadway sound, mm -hmm. you know, like the Sutton Fosters. And I mean, I'm, I'm like, how do you do that? But you have to sound a bit okay, but all my friends are real singers, like opera singers, and they do Phantom of the Opera and they do, well, I've done Les Mis, but, you know, Madame Tenardier. Mm -hmm. Now look who's here! You sound like Yay. a cheese grater. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's not meant to sound good. Yeah. So you can get away with not hitting the notes. Mm -hmm. I could never just sing a song and be sounding nice. So that's why I'm amazed when people go, oh, you're singing voice. I'm like, oh, look at the characters I'm playing. So it's like mm -hmm. Ursula and those, those, those supportive roles, I guess. Mm -hmm. I look at the, the girls who sing opposite me and they're so beautiful and they're so controlled and they know what they're doing and it sounds like crystal clear. And I sound like some dog barking, which is fine for what I do, you know? Well, there's also something very, um, I think, grounding and real about that, right? Because in real life, we don't all walk around singing, you know, <laughs> in musicals. Right. Uh, you know, people bring the character to the, to the song. And yeah. so that, that reads totally true to me. That, well, that's know. where I come from, yeah. Exactly, yeah. I mean, I've seen brilliant singers, and with respect, 
you know, it's not a criticism or a judgment, it's an observation and probably a fact. They're too busy thinking about the sound and you can tell there's nothing in the eyes, so mm -hmm. I'm not moved. If somebody's really in it and they might crack, I don't care because you've moved me. Right. And, and it connects. And if we don't connect, what's the point? Mm -hmm. You've either got it or you've not, maybe, or you can be taught it. I don't know. But I'll always come from a place of... That's why I love Sondheim so much. I mean, it's such an actor thing. Yeah, you know, you can't sound dreadful, but it, I've worked with him a few times and, and he's going, you know, you're not, you're not Maria Callas Trace, but, but I believe you. And so bring it down and put it in your key. I was like, can I tell every MD in the world that? Because some MDs are very precious about, no, you have to sing it up here. Well, that's mm -hmm. not, you can't sing outside your register. You know, opera singers sometimes, if they're soprano, can't do bass. So I'm like, well, what's the big deal about changing a key? In other words, everyone's voice pings differently. Yeah. Like you were saying, you, you live a lot lower. So it's going to sound thrilling if it's in the proper key for you. It's not that you can't hit those notes. Sometimes you can't. But Is that for everybody, though? Like it's thrilling for a soprano, for instance, if it's in there. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. it's like, a, like a baseball bat. When you hit that home run, it's the sweet spot of the bat. Right, it's so just, you so, boom. right, you and know, it's in the pocket. The, so in the pocket, you can want you it. do a soprano mix, belt, uh, mezzo? Me yeah, yes, yes. See, I can't do any of that. I just go there, <laughs> and that's my top note. There. So I envy, I envy you envy singers. me. I envy you. Look at that voice. I keep thinking that our problems to no The reason I'm being reticent is because, I'll tell you something, I trained to be a stunt woman. You did? Yeah, so I've, I'm, I'm here by default, so I'll tell you the truth. I trained, I wanted to be a stunt woman, and I got into a soap opera in England, which paid me a lot of money when I was a kid, 18, 20, 20 and that was the time I was training. So I got the soap opera and I was still training, so when I was coming out of my training, in my day, I think there were seven out of 13 activities that you had to have. So I was using the soap opera money to pay for flying lessons, motor rallying, horse riding, side saddle, did tricks on horses, scuba diving, what, gymnastics, whatever I picked, I picked. 
And so they were funding that. And I got to, to, I think it was 38 or 39 hours on my pilot's license. And then they called me in to film because they realized it was a bank holiday. Now they didn't want to pay us triple or double time. So they'd made a mistake calling me in. So the, so the soap opera called me in on the Saturday and the Sunday before. Then they wouldn't have to pay me double. I said, I can't come in. I'm doing a helicopter and a flying lesson. They went, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, innocently go, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I want to be a stunt girl. So uh, I can't come in. My, and they, it was insurance and I didn't realise in my innocence. They right. called me in immediately and said, how long have you been doing this? That's for about six months. It takes a long time. I've got to get my martial arts up and different. You know, you've got to get your certificates of everything. They were, they, they did exactly oh, what you are doing God. now. Their mouths were to the floor and they were going, you're a major character on a soap opera. I said, yeah, but I'm using that to pay for the... They were like, you can't say that. This is one of the biggest stuff. But I was totally innocent going, oh, well, I'll finish this then and maybe I'll do it then. They went, no, you're under contract. So I had to make... They couldn't insure me. So I kind of got it. I mean, I was upsetting down their building and everything. <laughs> they were going, what? You can't... So I had to make a major decision. I said, oh, please let me carry on because I'm... I'm 42 hours, I think, you had to get in my day with the pilot's license. So I was like three or four hours off getting the license. And if you don't do 40 hours, 42 hours, you've got to do the whole thing again oh next year. Gosh. At huge oh. expense. So I'm like, you've got to let me just do three more hours. They went, if you crash, if you, if you fall off a wall, if you're jumping into fire. <laughs> and so I, they stopped me doing it, quite rightly. And how did you get to Coronation Street, which is the soap opera that you were referencing Well, earlier? because I was still at school and they wanted somebody who was over 18 but looking young enough to play 13, doing major issues. They like what were some of the ones that you did? What what? What were some of the issues that you played as a, at, well, on Coronation Street? So, uh, homelessness, uh, being abandoned by my mother, being a foster child... Uh, which was still racy stuff for what was the... What, what well, they didn't want to deal with the 30s. They do now, I think. Right. But at the time, you know, this was like very, very early 80s. And yeah. they, they thought, let's get an 18-year-old who's little, looks young, and who's a bit of a tomboy. Cut to me. I look back now, like I said earlier, and I think, what the hell was I thinking about jumping off thousands of feet buildings? And But you don't... I didn't have the fear then. Well, I think that's also a product of youth. I of course think. it is. You think you're, you know, I think not you, everyone at that age thinks they're indestructible. And I think that's the time when you take those kinds of crazy risks. I just didn't have fear. I'd, yeah. Now I would. Yeah. But, but still in my head, I'm like, oh, God, I wish I could have gone down that route. But you, you just deal with the... Uh, like I say, my gifted, gifted friends, I'm not gifted. I've, I've got a talent that I don't bump into furniture, I guess. But my friends are truly <laughs> gifted. <laughs> and the gifted people, in my humble opinion, they kind of are lazy with their gift. Hmm. Don't you find that? Oh, yeah. Some gifted people are lazy and it really annoys me because I have to work really hard just to get a nanu thing going. Hmm. And I see these gifted singers and gifted actresses and, and they just don't give a shit. Sorry. No, no we're right. explicit. Yeah. All I want to do is communicate and make people laugh or cry or think about the play. That's it. I want to connect because I know about pain. We all know about pain. And I want them to get out of their pain just for those two, three little hours. It's my responsibility as an actor, I think, to just go, do you know what, put your troubles away. You know, I remember when, when 
a very, very close person died and, and I had to go on stage and be funny. And I hated that audience. I thought I should be with that lot. And I walked on stage and I was like... And then in a split second, something in my head went, your responsibility, bring it on. You chose to do this. And this is exactly those times when you should forget about you and leave it at the stage door in your agony because they might be going through worse. And usually people are. So you, ent you turn around and you entertain them. And from that second, I was like, that's weird training that, or something in you that can do that, but that's because I don't do it for me. I, I try and learn as much as I can, but it's always about that audience. And it's, sorry, I get a bit verklempt. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true, and it's like, they pay good money, they've chosen it, they've looked in the paper, or they've looked online, I'll go and see that, or not, they've just come off from the rain, you know, and they hate it or love it. But it's my job and my responsibility, I think, to give them the best. I hate that matinee feeling when, when people go, oh, I'll just walk through it today. I'll save it for tonight. No, somebody saved up a year for that matinee and how dare you mess about. That person might never come to the theatre again. Or, and I get a bit like, you can tell I get on my high horse about it. And, and, that's, and that's it. It's not rocket science. We're not saving lives. I, I, you know, I would like to do that. I'm not clever enough to be a brain surgeon. The next best thing, I wish I could write. I can't. The next best thing is vesseling that and those words, whether they're good or bad, I'll always pick something with like a little message in it somewhere or with a moment or two somewhere. Tracy will be seen on stage next in London this winter in the National Theatre's encore presentation of Stephen Sondheim and James Goldman's musical masterpiece, Follies, which previously played in 2017. She stars as Carlotta, the aging actor whose torch song anthem, I'm Still Here, is among the most famous of Sondheim's catalog. Look, I could go on and on about Follies, but you may be wondering, what is the National Theatre? And more importantly, how come we don't have one? Well, technically, there once was a National Theatre on Broadway. It's since been renamed the Nederlander Theater, but that's not what I'm talking about. The Royal National Theater, or as it is more simply known, the National Theater, is one of the United Kingdom's three most prominent publicly funded performing arts venues, alongside the Royal Shakespeare Company and the Royal Opera House. You may be wondering, are you telling me that the government of the United Kingdom publicly funds major arts institutions? Well, yes I am. 
The Arts Council England, a public body of the Department for Digital, Cultural, Media, and Sport, is a government-funded body solely dedicated to promoting the performing, visual, and literary arts in England. It's their version of the National Endowment for the Arts, and its annual budget, allotted in grants, is around $800 million, serving a population of around 66 million people. By comparison, our NEA's budget in 2018 is just over $150 million, serving a population of 325 million people. And that's without a dedicated physical performing arts institution. You may be wondering, what about the John F. Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts in Washington, DC? No dice. While it was created by an act of Congress in 1958, the law actually requires that its programming be sustained solely through private funds. Now, the National Theater in London was only founded in 1963, around the same time that our Congress was debating its own plans for arts funding, which would culminate in the National Foundation on the Arts and Humanities Act of 1965. I recently reread the preamble of that bill because of a show that I saw at La Mama and was struck by the beauty of its language. As an example, quote, it is necessary and appropriate for the federal government to complement, assist, and add to programs for the advancement of the humanities and the arts by local, state, regional, and private agencies and their organizations. The practice of art requires constant dedication and devotion, and it is necessary and appropriate for the federal government to help create and sustain not only a climate for encouraging freedom of thought, imagination, and inquiry, but also the material conditions facilitating the release of this creative talent. We're still waiting for those material conditions. While in London, at the National Theater's sprawling complex on the South Bank, three theaters provide a constant stream of performances at an institution whose budget is government subsidized by nearly 20%. That has allowed for the incubation and presentation of such notable works as last season's revival of Angels in America, the Tony-winning best plays, The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime, War Horse, and The History Boys, James Corden's breakout performance in One Man, Two Governors, Network, which actually opens on Broadway this fall, and the new musical Town, which starts soon in London in preparation for Broadway, not to mention marquee revivals of Carousel in Oklahoma in the 1990s, both of which came to Broadway. <laughs> you may be wondering, Wow, a lot of shows from the National Theater certainly do seem to end up in New York. And you're right, at least in recent years. Is it because a reliable source of public funding allows the institution to support great artists in the creation of new works? Probably. We have no shortage of amazing nonprofit theaters in New York and across the country that do similar work. But for me, it comes down to a question of scale. Most original new American plays and musicals are small. By that, I mean they feature small casts in one set. They are designed to be performed on the cheap, with an eye to having a life in regional theaters, not on a Broadway stage. What the National Theater does so brilliantly is support the creation of bold, large works like War Horse, shows that push the limits of craft and technology and meet the artist's ability to dream and imagine new ways to reach audiences and tell stories. If you ever find yourself in London, check out a show at the National, underwritten by the English taxpayer. Don't have plans to be in London anytime soon? Don't worry. Through NT Live, the National Theatre screens their shows live in movie theaters in the UK and the US for even more audiences to enjoy. That's how I got to see Tracy and Follies. Or, then again, as the trend suggests, you can also just wait for the latest National Theatre production to come to New York. Rob here. That's our show. Thanks for listening. The Fabulous Invalid is a production of O&M Etc. and The Fabulous Invalid LLC. Our theme music is by Lucky Chops. Today's episode was edited and engineered by Aaron Kaufman. 
Find us online at thefabulousinvalid.com and on social media at Fabulous Invalid. And listen to us on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Podbean, and our website. And be sure to tune in next Wednesday. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.